This morning and next week, we're going to spend two weeks uh, talking about missions giving. And so if you're guests with us or maybe you haven't been in a while, your worst fears are about to be imagined, right? That I show up to church and they talk about money. Are you kidding me? And you've already seen the other piece of paper in your seat that has dollar signs on it. And you're probably already thinking, man, get me out of here. Okay, well, just wait till the end of the sermon before you make that decision. Uh, this, this morning and next week, we want to talk about missions giving. And the reason we want to talk about it is because COVID really kind of messed us up. Uh, did COVID mess up your life? Did it kind of wreck your schedule in any form or fashion? Uh, the last year, year and a half has been just constant adjustment because of inconvenience. You know, uh, we had the COVID outbreak and they shut us down and then we came back. And in any ways, we've been navigating crazy for about a year and a half. And so uh, one of the things that we normally do is that once a year, we clear off a couple of weeks and we talk about missions giving and we talk about the missionaries that we support and why that's biblical and where we, where we have strategic partnerships throughout the world. We hadn't been able to do that in almost two years. Actually, the last time we had this discussion was in 2019. And so we have a lot of new people. And then we also just, some of us have forgotten that that's even kind of on the, on the task of what we ought to be doing. So this week and next week, we're going to talk about missions giving. We just finished Romans 15. And the last message we preached out of Romans 15 was a message called ministry is giving. And ministry really is just boiled down to a lot of things in Romans 15, but, but giving is part of ministry. Uh, we learn from the Apostle Paul. He's taking a, a, an offering to the poor saints at Jerusalem. And he's also asking for prayer in Romans 15. And we said, you know, that's a really cool picture of a missionary prayer letter, a guy that's going to take relief to people that need it, but also he has personal prayer requests that he wants the, the believers at Rome to pray for him about. And that's really kind of a, a snapshot of our relationship with missionaries. And so this morning, we want to continue that thought of missions. And we're going to look at the story in John chapter 6 of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, how many of you have ever read this story, the feeding of the 5,000? Most every Christian knows this story. What's interesting about this story is that this, this miracle is found in all four Gospels. It's found in all four Gospels. What's also interesting is when you study the Bible, do you know that the virgin birth is not found in all four Gospels? The ascension of Christ after, after the resurrection is not found in all four Gospels. But this account of the feeding of the 5,000 is found in all four Gospels. And we're not minimizing those other things. Those are all very, very important. Man, the resurrection, the ascension, the virgin birth, that, that's instrumental to our Christianity. But it is interesting that God made sure that in all four gospel accounts, this, this instance of the feeding of the 5,000 is recorded. And so uh, we're going to just look at it very quickly. Historically, where it lands in the gospels, in, in Matthew and in Mark, right before this miracle, if you were to take the time and go back, and I think I put all, yeah, I've got all the references on the screen. Uh, are those in your notes? Are those in your notes? No, they're not in your notes. So grab a pen and write those down if you want to study that in all four Gospels. Historically speaking, this miracle comes right on the heels of John the Baptist being beheaded. And so John the Baptist, of course, is the forerunner of Christ. And then he's beheaded. And then immediately we have the account of this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So historically, that's where it fits. Doctrinally, I want you to understand, and we're just going to hit this and move on, and, and if this leaves you scratching your head, then stick around. You need to learn uh, 
to study the Bible a little bit. But doctrinally, what we see in John chapter 6 is a picture or a type of the tribulation period. In other words, God is going to feed the nation of Israel in the wilderness just like he did in the Old Testament. You remember the Exodus? God delivered the nation of Israel from Egypt through the blood of a lamb. And then he brought them into the wilderness. And God miraculously provided water and manna in the wilderness miraculously. Well, that's very interesting that God did that in the book of Exodus. And now in the book of John, Jesus Christ again is feeding a nation of people, by the way, in the wilderness miraculously. And it all points to what's going to happen in the future. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 6 says that the woman, and that would be the nation of Israel, fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. God kind of repeats history to prove what he's going to do. Does that make sense? God did it in the past. He did it in the present in John chapter 6. God's going to do it again with the nation of Israel in the tribulation period. And you would say maybe why is that even important for me to understand? Well, it's, it's important for us to understand because the second coming of Christ is the theme of the Bible. In other words, the reason that God put all, in all four Gospels this account of God feeding people, his people, in the wilderness, in the desert, where there's much grass, is to show us that this is the event that precedes his second coming. Because the theme of the Bible is the second coming of Jesus Christ. As much as we wanted to make it about us, and about our salvation, and our redemption, and our forgiveness, and that's an important part of the Bible. Amen? Aren't you thankful for your salvation? Aren't you thankful for your redemption and forgiveness? I'm thankful for that. But listen, the, the date on the calendar of God's calendar is not the date, uh, the, the day that he has circled, and it's the greatest day ever, is not the day that his son died for our sin. The greatest day on God's calendar is when Jesus Christ gets all the honor and glory and praise and the kingdom that he deserves because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, and so God put this miracle in all four gospels just to remind us that, listen, the second coming of Christ comes on the heels of this tribulation period. And it is the most important thing to God because his son will get all the glory that he deserves. And so this morning, as we look at that, we're not going to expose any more of the doctrinal application because we'd be here all morning. But, but I want to just look at this, this illustration that God cares for his people enough to feed them. And, and practically this morning, we're going to see a great example of missions. And the message is entitled, Giving So That All May Be Filled. That's the message this morning. We, we want to take that doctrinal application of how God deals with his people Israel but we want to make practical application to our ministry today. How, how can God take that story and teach us about his love for the world, his love for the multitudes? And we're going to see that this morning. So let me ask you to pray with me. We'll, read the, we'll pray, we'll read the text, and then we'll, we'll get going in the notes. Father, we love you. Thank you again, God. We, we sang some really strong songs uh, this morning. Uh, not strong musically per se, but strong lyrically like, like here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. And so if we sang that with a right heart, what that means, Lord, is that we're, we're ready to hear your word. 
and, and we're opening our heart to it. So God, I pray that we didn't sing that in vain. I pray that we, we sang it with purity of heart, purity of motive. God, open your word today. Speak to us. And Lord, concerning your love for the multitudes, the compassion that you have for the world, God, may it be contagious in our life. Father, we need to hear from you today. I pray that you bless the sermon. God, give us wisdom through your Holy Spirit. Get me out of the way. Father, teach us today. We love you and ask it in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 6. Let's read verses 1 to 14. It's on the screen if you want to follow along. The Bible says in verse 1, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make, make the men to sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Okay, that was just the number of the men. We know that if they're married or had children, the, the real number is probably ten to 15,000 people here. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and they filled twelve baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. And so what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see God's compassion and we're going to see giving that can influence a multitude of people. And so number one in your notes, let's get this point down. We're going to start with seeing the compassion of Jesus for the mission. We want to start by seeing the compassion of Jesus Christ for the mission. Look at verse five. It says, when Jesus lifted up his eyes and he saw a great company come unto him. And so what Jesus saw was the multitudes. And, and listen, the multitudes moved him with compassion. And we need to be reminded as Christians that the multitudes are the mission. It'd be real easy for us as Community Fellowship Baptists to look around the room and say, okay, everybody's here. But we have to remember that not everybody has a relationship with Christ just yet. We, we have to understand that the multitudes are the mission. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 14 to 16, we put this, yeah, I did put it on the screen. Look at, look at verse 14, same account. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Okay, so here's the ministry key that we need to get. Listen, Jesus has compassion on the lost world because the lost world, number one, is sick in their sin, and they need to be healed. I mean, that's who we were before we accepted Christ and received the gospel. We were sick in our sin, and Jesus physically healed people for sure. And, and Jesus can still do that for sure. 
But every type of healing is a picture of a spiritual reality. And the spiritual reality is we are sinners and we are sick. And we need, we need to be healed. And the only way that we can be healed is through the person of Jesus Christ. That came right before, in Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 14, that came right before the feeding of the 5,000. It, it actually goes on in verse 16. Jesus said to them, they need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And so Christ had compassion on the multitudes. Look at Mark chapter 6 and verse 34. Same account. Look at verse 34 to 37. And Jesus, when he was come out, he saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them. Why? Because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. What do you see when you see the multitudes? Uh, let me ask you a, a question before that question. Do you even realize that there's a multitude of people out there that don't know Christ? And, and, and if, you, if you know that, what do you see when you see them? Do you see sick sinners in need of healing? Do you see the lost world as sheep without a shepherd? Because listen, in our sin, man, we, we are sheep without a shepherd. Christ himself says that he is the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And before Christ, you were wandering around in this world, aimless, clueless, and hopeless. And when you realized your sin, and you realized that you needed a Savior, and you came to Christ, not only did God save you from your sin and heal you spiritually, but listen, he became your shepherd to lead you and to guide you and to lay down his life to protect you. That's what a relationship with Christ is. That's what the lost world needs. And so the lost world needs a shepherd because they're wandering as sheep without a shepherd. And then in Luke chapter 9, again, the same, the same account in verses 12 to 13, it says this, When the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the towns and country round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. I mean, the disciples didn't even want to be bothered with the multitudes. We're here with Jesus, and we want to protect that. So just send the rest of them away. And he said, give ye them to eat. And they said, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all these people. And the reality is, the ministry key is, listen, the lost world has a hunger for the bread of life. And God wants to use some people to deliver that bread. God wants to use a mission strategy to reach the multitudes. And the problem is, number one, for us, we don't see the world like Christ sees it. We don't have the compassion like Christ had. If you remember your life before you got saved, it'll help you have compassion on other people. This morning, July 11th, a minute ago, 1997, was the day that, that my best friend in college shared the gospel with me. So I got saved July 11th, 1997, so that's a minute ago. It's kind of cool to be able to preach this morning. There's not a day that goes by that I don't remember that day because I remember my life was headed to hell because I was sick and wandering and hungering 
And I was trying to fill that void with everything in this life. But the answer was Christ. And somebody had enough compassion on me, like Christ had on me, to love me enough to share the gospel with me. And I realized that in my sin, I would never be satisfied. And I bowed my head and I asked Jesus Christ to save me from my sin. And to forgive me. And to lead me. And to guide me. And listen, that was a long time ago, but I'm just telling you, there's not a day that goes by that that, that, that day doesn't cross my mind. Christ had compassion on me. Christ has compassion on the multitudes. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 51 says, Mine eye affecteth mine heart. And listen, we have to learn to see the multitudes the way God sees them. If we ever get content with being who we are as a church and the size we are and the ministry that we have going inside these four walls, we don't have the heart of Christ. We have to have the compassion of Christ on the multitudes. Jude verse 22 says this, And some have compassion, making a difference. Making a difference. So do you have compassion on those that are spiritually sick? And are dying in their sin. Do you have compassion on those that are wandering? Sheep with no shepherd. Sometimes it's easy to look at those people and say, man, you're just a dumb sheep. Yeah, because they don't have a shepherd. And so they wander and make decisions that are sinful and, and contrary to God because they don't know Christ. Do we see people and have compassion on the spiritual hunger in their life? We've got to have Christ's compassion for the world. And, and that starts in this city, by the way. That starts in this community, by the way. That starts on your job. When you go to work, do you see people the way that, that Christ sees people? Do you see, do you see spiritually sick, wandering, hungering, spiritually people that need to have a relationship with Christ? Or do you see people as a problem? a burden, an inconvenience. That's how the disciples of Jesus Christ saw those people. They, they said, well, if you just send them away, Lord, uh, we'd like to continue hanging with you, and they can go take care of themselves. That's not the heart of Christ. So number one, we see that the compassion of Christ is he has a heart for the multitudes. Number two, we're going to look at four different responses. We're going to see a contrast of responses to the mission that God has in front of us. And the truth is, Three out of those four are present in this room today. Actually, four out of four, if you count the Lord. So let's see the contrast of responses to this opportunity that's in front of the disciples. The first person we're going to look at is the Lord. And we're going to see that the Lord desired to see the multitudes fed. Look back at verses 5 and 6. When Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come to him, and he said to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Notice he doesn't say, hey, Philip, why don't you go buy some bread? He said, we're going to do this together. And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Mark, Mark, excuse me, Matthew 14 and verse 16, Jesus said to them, they need not to depart. Give ye them to eat. In other words, Christ, his desire was to see the multitudes fed, and he commissioned his disciples to do it. Mark 6 and verse 37, he answered and said to them, give ye them to eat. Luke 9 and verse 13, give ye them to eat. So we know that Jesus wanted the multitudes fed. His compassion 
Well, he wanted it to be contagious to his disciples. His compassion resulted in a commandment. And the commandment was, give ye them to eat. And, and for those of you that may not be students of the King James Bible, ye means you all. So let me break it down for the Alabama folks in the room. Y'all. All of y'all go get them something to eat. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And this he said to prove him. And so we see that the Lord has a desire, and that desire resulted in a commandment to his disciples. But then we see Philip. And Philip is a guy who declined the mission because he saw it as an impossibility. And you're probably sitting here in this room, and the truth is we have some Philips in this room this morning. Philip answered in verse 7, and he said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. So Philip basically said, this is impossible, Lord. Even with 200 penny worth of bread, we can't get enough for everyone to even have, and he says, a little. You ever met a Christian like that, that always focuses on the impossibility, that will never trust God enough to try anything because it's always too big, too hard, too impossible? I know Christians like that that somehow limit their God and limit the commandment of God to not even try. That's Philip. And when you study the Bible, a penny worth, a penny worth is a day's wages. You could go back to Mark, or excuse me, Matthew 20 and verse 22, uh, when the story of the laborers and the, the, the hire, the employer agreed with his laborers for a penny a day. It's, it's, it's the daily wages. And, and so what Philip is saying is, listen, 200 Day's labor is not enough so that everyone here could have a little. Because there's 5,000 men, plus their wives, plus their children. Philip said it's impossible, so why bother? And there's a lot of Philips in Christianity. There's probably some Philips in our church. See, what Philip didn't realize is whatever the Lord orders, he pays for. And it was a clear commandment. Give ye them to eat. So if God commanded it, the possibility and the potential is already there. Because God himself commanded it. He's not going to demand and command what is impossible. We have to come back to faith in God's word. Luke 18 and verse 20, the Bible says, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. That's a good spot for an amen. Because listen, we could say, well, getting the gospel to the world, making disciples of all nations, we're so far behind, we, we're so inadequate, we don't have the, the funding to do it, we don't have the people resources to do it. Well, you keep telling me all the reasons why we're not going to be obedient to what God has said, and you're Philip. It's impossible. Philippians 4 and verse 13, Paul himself says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Not some things, not most things, all things. You see, the problem is we have some Philip Christians that focus on the impossibility instead of obedience and faith to God's word. I hope that's not you. And then we also have some Andrews. And Andrew is the next person that we'll look at because his response is a little bit different than Philip's response. Andrew is doubtful of the mission because of insufficiency. Where Philip says, hey, this is impossible, Andrew, 
maybe has a little more faith. Look at verse 8. It says, And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? So where Philip says this is impossible, we can't do this with 200, 200 days wages, Andrew says, well, let's look at what we have, and what we have is not enough. But at least he looked at what he had. And it's not even what he had, it's what somebody else had. And probably the reason that Andrew himself didn't have anything is because those disciples of Christ walked away from everything to follow Jesus. They walked away from their, their, their fishing boat. They walked away from their family. Christ told them, hey, listen, you don't, you don't pack two coats and you don't pack extra shoes. You go town to town preaching the gospel. And so they probably materialistically didn't have anything. Those disciples are a lot like missionaries. They just kind of walk away from everything to follow Christ and to do what Christ has called them to do. So, so he found someone that had something. It, it, it was somewhat of a reasonable solution. Here's what I found. There's a, there's a young lad that had five loaves and two fishes, but what are they among so many? In other words, Andrew is saying, here's what we have. It's still not enough. It's still not enough. And there's some Andrews, man, in our, in our church and in Christianity. We're a small church, man. How could God use us to reach the world? We're a small church. We have a limited budget. We have limited people. We have limited resources. Okay. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with the commandment. <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with the commandment. And so what we see is the fourth person has the right attitude, and it's the young lad. And that's where we want to get. We want to, we want to get to the lad because we want to learn from the lad. You see, the lad was determined to give to the mission, and all he gave is what he had. He just gave what he had. He didn't give what he didn't have because he couldn't do that. Look at verse 9. It says, there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And so the Bible goes into the <laughs> explicit detail to let us know that this is a lad. It's a young person that's willing to give what he had. If you were to compare scripture with scripture, in Genesis chapter 21, Ishmael is called a lad, and he's 14 years old. In Genesis chapter 21 and verse 17. In Genesis 22 and verse 5, Isaac is called a lad. In other words, he's old enough to carry the wood for the burnt offering with Abraham up the mountain. In Genesis 37 and verse 2, Joseph is called a lad, and he's 17 years old. So we're looking at a, a teenager, this lad. It's this young adult amongst 5,000 men, plus women, plus children, and there's just a lad willing to give what he has. And I find that very interesting. And I think there's a principle here. It's not in your notes, but listen, if you don't learn to give in your youth, there's a good chance that you'll never learn to give willingly as an older adult. The time to learn to give and to surrender yourself for what the Lord has is in your youth. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, when Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, listen, as a youth, you are to be an example. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12 says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word in conversation, in charity, hmm. in spirit, in faith, in purity. And so listen, young people, teenagers, you can be an example even in your youth. 
You say, well, I don't have anything. I don't have much. It doesn't matter how much you have or don't have. What matters is, do you trust the Lord? And you can be an example of the believer in Christ, even in charity. Well, I don't make much money. Well, it doesn't matter what you make. What matters is your heart before the Lord. You see, the truth is, there are some older believers that aren't really good examples to follow. So don't follow those examples. Follow the examples of people full of faith and be an example of the believer. So here's this key principle you want to get down. You're either going to see missions as an impossibility, like Philip, or, 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 or you're going to see, them, see missions as an insufficiency, like Andrew, or you're going to see missions as an opportunity. And this young lad said, man, I don't even know how this is going to shake out. Here's what I got, and I'm willing to give it to Christ. I'm willing to give it to Jesus. Here's a need. I don't have much. Here's what I have. Let me just sit back and watch what the Lord does. That's an opportunity. And listen, we have the same contrast of responses in the church today. Jesus' response never changes. He's continually compassionate for the multitudes. There are some professing believers that deny that the mission is even possible. Those are the Phillips. They don't witness. They don't give. They don't even try. Notice I didn't say they don't sit in church. Some don't even do that, for the record. Some believers are so full of doubt that anything that they do could ever be offered to God to make a difference. And those are the Andrews. They see the insufficiency of their life, and they use that as an excuse not to walk in faith. And then you have some, like the lad. And and some is probably the minority. Because some people are just willing to surrender whatever they have to the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, in, in other words, they make themselves available. I, I, I would beg the question, I wonder if the ratio is about the same. One in five thousand. Or one in 15,000. You see, the truth is, we, we find ourselves in the story already. And what God is looking for is cooperation. God's wanting to do something that's bigger than any of us. And he doesn't need us to, to participate, but he desires for us to participate. Which is the next point, point number three in your notes. We're going to see the cooperation needed to achieve the mission. The mission for the church has never changed. It's to make the disciples of all nations. How are we going to do that? Verse 11. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, listen, as much as they would. There's only two things in the New Testament that Jesus ever multiplied. It's loaves and fishes. Fishes are a great picture or type of saved men. In other words, when we go evangelize, we're going fishing. And God multiplied the fish. Bread is a picture of Christ, but it's also a picture of the Word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, Luke chapter 4 and verse 4. And God multiplied both of those things to accomplish the mission. He took what was surrendered to him 
and he multiplied it to achieve the mission. So here's the key principle. God can use what you have if you're willing to surrender it to him. And that's the only way God can use it. And that's the only way God can use it. And, and when we look in Matthew, when we look at Mark, and we look at, when we look at Luke's account, in all three instances, the Bible says that he looked up to heaven, he blessed what was given to him, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and they distributed to the multitudes. We'll get to the workflow in just a second. But I, but I want you to see that in all four accounts, Christ gave thanks. He blessed it, and he broke it. So get this principle down because this is an important principle that goes far beyond finances. God can't bless and break what hasn't been released to him. God can't bless and break what hasn't been released to him. Listen, that's true of our life. Can I just tell you that, it, listen, God can't bless your life and break your life and use your life for his glory until you surrender it to him. Give it to him and let him break it and bless it and use it for his glory. That's true of your life. That's true of your marriage. Surrender your marriage to Christ. Let him break it. Let him bless it. And let him release it for his glory's sake. And that is true of your money. Surrender it to him and let him break it. Oh, and by the way, it's also true of your ministry. You want to see God bless your ministry and multiply your ministry? Give it to Christ. It's not your ministry anyways. It's, it's not your ministry Surrender it to him, let him break it and bless it and be used of God for his glory's sake. People say all the time, I want to be used of God. That, that's a small percentage of people, by the way. But there are some people that say, I want to be used of God. I want to be blessed of God. Well, the key to that is, and the problem with that is, you can't be used of God or blessed of God if you've never surrendered yourself into his hands. You see, when you and I surrender and we put ourselves in his hands and we put anything in our life in his hand, our marriage, our ministry, our money, when we put it in his hands, God can bless it, he can break it, and he can multiply it. You say, well, I don't want to get broke. Well, you need to be broke so that what's on the inside can really come out. In Mark chapter 14, there's the, the story, the famous story in Simon the leper's house of the woman having the alabaster box of ointment, right, of, of spikenard. The Bible says that that spikenard was very precious. But until she broke that container, what was valuable and precious and could be given to Christ as an offering was impossible. That box had to be broken. The Bible says that she broke the box and she poured it on his head. And some people looked at her with indignation and said, what a waste of the ointment. It could have been sold for 300 pence and given to the poor. By the way, those people didn't bring anything to offer Christ. Usually the most vocal people are the ones that are holding on to everything in their life. They're holding on to their life and their ministry and their money and their marriage and they're critical of you for trying to please God and offer your life as a living sacrifice. So I'm just saying, you, you're probably going to find some haters across the room. And this woman found haters across the room, and Jesus spoke up and said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She hath wrought a good work on me. 
She was willing to take what was hers and break it and be poured out as a sweet-smelling offering to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's what the Lord wants. That's what the Lord desires in our life. That's how the mission gets accomplished. We see the supply chain. The supply chain moved from the lad and what we had, what he had, and he was just willing to put it into Christ's hands. And so we need to understand that when we give, we're giving to the Lord. You give your life. You're not giving it to me or this church. You're giving it to the Lord. You, you give your, your marriage. You're not giving it to me or this church. You're giving it to the Lord. You give your money. Listen, when you give, you're giving your money to the Lord, not a pastor, not this ministry. You're giving it to Christ. And then listen, when Christ has it in his hands, he can bless it and break it and multiply it. And then he puts it in the hands of his disciples. And again, those disciples are a picture of missionaries. Christ takes what has been given to him and he puts it in the hands of his disciples. And those disciples reach the multitudes. This shows us the power of partnership. It shows us the power of partnership. Listen, we can't all go to a foreign country. It would be awesome if we could. And you need to go like on a short-term mission trip, without a doubt. But listen, we can't reach the world by ourselves. But we got friends in other places. We got friends in, in Hungary. We got friends in the Dominican Republic. We have friends in Romania. We have friends in Zambia. We have friends in Kenya. And we can't all go to a foreign country, but we know missionaries who are there. And we can, we can give what we have to the Lord and the Lord can put it in their hands and send them with the gospel of Jesus Christ and a ministry of discipleship. God can bless it, break it, and multiply it for his glory's sake. Okay, so, so let me show you. It works. God's strategy always works. Look at verse 12. We're going to see the completion of the mission. And I, and I love this story because, listen, it's greater, it's greater than any disciple could have imagined. Man, the Lord, there's nobody saw this coming. You know what I'm saying? I mean, listen, they're so full of just doubt and uncertainty. And even the lad, man, I mean, God doesn't tell us in his word, but man, I don't think he really understood. I, I don't even know how you're going to do this. Here's what I got. Just take what I got. I don't even know how you're going to do this. Look at verse 12. When they were what? When they were filled. You remember those disciples said, listen, we don't even have enough money so that everybody has a little bit. Well, that's not how God works. God says when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that none be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above them that they had eaten. I mean, they were filled. It wasn't just a little bit. It's not like everybody just got a bite. It was like they ate till they were full. It's like your favorite Chinese buffet, man. Except it was just bread and fish, but whatever. You know, fish and chips, whatever. So listen, those that received the multitudes, they are filled and satisfied. And can I just tell you, that's what happens when they meet Christ. When we take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. People are filled and satisfied. Not just a little. Not like Philip. Hey, Philip's saying, oh, we don't even have 200 days wages, man, just to give a little bit to everybody. No. Listen, when you come to Christ, you're filled, you're satisfied. 
Matthew 5 and verse 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And if you have tasted and seen the Lord, you know he is good. He is able to save you from your sin. He is able to guide you in this life. He is able to fill you with spiritual nourishment from his word. That's what the world needs. So those that received are filled. They're satisfied. And then number two, those that distributed had surplus. See, God is the God of supply and resupply. Well, I can't, I can't give to missions because I can't afford it. You can't not afford to give to missions. God is the God of supply and resupply. Those that distribute it have surplus. And listen, I'm not talking some prosperity gospel that's not according to the Bible. I am saying that whatever you have is sufficient for the mission. The disciples gathered 12 baskets amongst the fragments that remained. In other words, each of them got a basket. That's very interesting to me. And what, what that lad offered turned into a full meal for everybody. Everybody was full. He tells us in, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 6. And, and I want you to understand that the, the point of this story being in your Bible is not so that we should feed the, feed the hungry and end, end hunger in this world and all those different things. Listen, in, in Matthew's account, I'm not saying you shouldn't help people that are hungry. I am saying that the spiritual application is the most important application. Matthew 16 and verse 6, Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we've taken no bread? And when Jesus perceived, he said to them, O ye little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye bought no, brought no bread? Do ye not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets ye took up? His point is, listen, it's not about the physical food. It's about the spiritual nourishment from the Word of God. That's what it's about. Those that distribute it have surplus. And then ultimately, this, this is where it ends in verse, verse 14. Look at number 5. The confession that results from the mission. Look at verse 14. Then those men, the multitudes, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. You see, there was a confession made because of the miracle that was performed. Those disciples and the 5,000 realized who Christ really was. He is that prophet that should come into the world. Not Muhammad, but the Son of God. That's who he is. And we need to understand that according to the Bible, when Christ did these miracles, and these miracles are recorded, it's so that people would believe on Christ. Look at John 20 and verses 30 and 31. It's on the screen. It says, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye, may ha ye might have life through his name. You see, the purpose of these signs and miracles was that people would believe in Christ. Do you know the point of missions? It's to get the gospel to the world so that people can believe in Christ. That's the point. 
That's the point. That's the whole point. Everything that we're going to talk about this week and next week, the point is to get the gospel to the world so that people can believe in Christ. And we may punch a well in Africa to provide fresh water, and we may help raise money to feed orphans, and we may do all of those things, but at the end of the day, we're going to partner with people that preach the gospel and make disciples. And I'm telling you, God's plan works. We are called to partner with the Lord in his mission. That's what we're called to do. And so I know your blanks are full, but don't, don't check out on me just yet. Listen, do you have a desire to see the multitude saved? In other words, do you have compassion for the lost like the Lord does? And that's a very serious question. Because if you're born again, you know what it means to be saved from your sin. How dare you not have the compassion for other people that don't know Christ? That's a fallacy, man. That, that's not biblical. That's not the heart of God. Do you have a desire to see the multitude saved? Do you have a desire to see your coworkers saved? Do you have a desire to see your family that doesn't know Christ saved? Do you have a desire to see your children saved? Well, if you don't have any compassion, you don't. I feel like sometimes we are a lot like those disciples, content in our own little relationship with Jesus, forgetting that there's a multitude of people that don't know him. God help us. If you've got a desire to see the multitude saved, then you've got to get involved in his mission. And we're going to talk about missions giving. We're going to talk about partnering with missionaries. But can I just tell you that missions giving doesn't substitute or replace our responsibility to share the gospel. So I can't, I can't drop a check in the offering bucket and say, hey, send that to missions and then excuse myself from my responsibility to share the gospel. We have that commandment from the Lord. How many of us are like Philip, man? We just denied that the mission even exists. It's not even on our radar. Or maybe it is, but we would say, man, this thing is going to end in failure anyways. We, we know that the Bible ultimately is going to, you know, this dispensation, just like every other one, will end in failure. So we use that as an excuse. Listen, that's denying the mission at hand. That's saying it's so big and so impossible, we're just not even going to try. That's not good theology. <laughs> a lot of us, I think, are doubtful. And, and sometimes we're doubtful because of what we have to give is not so much. You know, we look at what we have. We look at our life. We look at our financial position. We look at our marriage. We look at the time that we have. And we say, you know what? What is this in the grand scheme of eternity? How is this going to make any difference? Well, it's going to make a lot of difference. When we surrender it to the Lord, he blesses it. He breaks it. He multiplies it. And so at the end of the day, we just have to be determined to partner with him. And so, you know, this morning you walked in and there is a piece of paper on that. And I don't, I don't want any of those piece of, pieces of paper in the offering today. But what I would ask you to do today is to consider what part can you do to see the multitudes reached. And the way that we do this every year, we haven't done it the last two years because of COVID, but what we ask you to do is to spend time before the Lord and ask, what do you have? What, what is it that I have that's available financially to partner with the Lord with? Let me also say that, listen, if you fill that out and don't put yourself 
as available on that sheet, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. God wants you available. God wants to use you. But we have missionaries that we partner with. And, and financially, we, we need to support them financially so that they can endeavor to do what God's called them to do and so that we can have a presence all over the world. So I want you to take that piece of paper home, and I want you to pray over it and say, Lord, what is it that you would have us to do as a family, me to do as a single person, me to do as a young person? And then the next two weeks, or all the way through the end of July, we're going to have one of those every Sunday. And I want you just, I only want you to turn it in one time. I don't even want you to put your name on it. It's not a pledge. It's not a, a covenant. We're not holding, holding you accountable to what you put on it. But we need to set budget for our missionaries. And so if you fill that out, and I thought I had one up here. I do have one up here. If you'll just read that with me, it says, Independence upon God, I will endeavor to regularly contribute above my tithe toward the global mission work of CFBC. And there's a bunch of different amounts. You can write your own amount in. It doesn't matter. And then basically, we just want to know, hey, I'm going to try to give every week or every month, or I'm going to just do a one-time gift per year. And then I want you to circle if you're a child or if you're an adult or if you're a teen. The reason why is because if my daughter was in here, she would probably put down $3,000 a week. <laughs> and our missions budget just fantastic. Let's get a lot more missionaries that we can support, you know. Fantastic. Uh, I want to know, I don't want to know your name. I don't want to know what family you are. We just use this to loosely set a budget. And so we're going to take these every week, not today. We're going to take these every week till the end of the month. Okay. If you look on the back of that um, faith promise plan, what we're doing is we're asking you to make a 12-month commitment. It's not a pledge. It's not something that somebody's going to show up at your door and collect. It's not something that you just figure out, hey, I'm going to, you know, financially, here's what I, here's what I'm going to eke out. Man, get, be get before the Lord and pray and just ask God. Ask God what he would have you give, okay? It's not to take away from your tithes that go to this local church. It's between you and God. It's waiting on God to tell you how much he wants you to give for reaching the world for Christ. And you got to trust God. And I know in my own life, in my own marriage, when we've done this in the past, you know, we make a commitment, and then it seems like everything breaks. You ever done that? You ever done that before? You ever start tithing, and, and you know, man, you're going through discipleship, and you, you get to that lesson on tithing, and it's like, man, I'm going to trust God. And you drop that first tithe check in, and then, like, the washer and dryer breaks, the car breaks down, the plumbing explodes at your house. Anybody living life like me? This is no different. Can I just tell you? Whatever, whatever, it doesn't even matter. Can I just tell you that the devil's not happy we're even having this conversation? And, and, and you'll just have to learn to trust God in the midst of it. Remember, you've got to be broken. But then God can use you, right? Um, and so... And so there's some scriptures on that. You can, you can look at that. 